Hey, I'm really excited. We're starting this new series on Ezra. And if you're, if you're feeling like disconnected from God, like you, you haven't heard from God in, in a while or, or feeling, you know, like there's distance in your relationship with him, th- this series is going to be helpful to you. And so I want to encourage you to be a part of the whole thing. It, it, if you're feeling like, you know, you're wondering if if God even hears uh, what you say when you pray, or if you're known uh, by God. This, this series is going to speak to that, and it really also talks about how God helps us to find our way out of the messes uh, that, that we create, right? Don't we create a lot of messes? Maybe, okay, just me, okay, good. But, but we get in that space where when we get into that messy place, we're wondering if God knows uh, or if he, if he cares. And uh, I want you to hang in for this series because this series is about, about that. We're going to look into what it means to be living uh, in the fullness of a relationship with God. And just as Israel uh, returned to God, so can you and I. And just as God made promises to Israel, God's made promises uh, to us. And just as God restored Israel... He'll restore us as well. And just as God kept his promise to Israel, he'll keep his promises in the text of Scripture to us. And that that line, this is how I fight my battles, this is how we fight our battles. We trust God completely and fully with everything that is going on in our life situationally. We trust God completely and fully to help us get out of the messes that we find ourselves in. We're going to be looking into the book of Ezra. Ezra and Nehemiah are kind of a, uh, a section in the Old Testament. They, they were originally uh, together, but they were through, through the course of time separated as two different books. But they, they give us a historical picture of the nation of Israel. And if you know anything about the nation of Israel in particular in the Old Testament, God would bless them. Um, they didn't live in blessing very well. They would wander from God and get distracted. They would find themselves then in rebellion, and then there would be this cycle of repentance, and then there would be this cycle of restoration, which is very similar to kind of the path that we uh, find ourselves on uh, often. And the books of Ezra and Nehemiah are really called the New Exodus. I believe that God is always taking us out of one place and taking us into another. So if you've been in a lifestyle of destructive behavior, you feel like you've been enslaved, uh, there's a new exodus for you. Just like there was an exodus for the children of Israel back in the book of Exodus when they were in slavery, uh, just like in the book of Ezra and Nehemiah when they were held in captivity, there is this new exodus that takes place in their life. And you may not feel it today, but there's hope for a new exodus in your life as well. And the reason why there are stories like this in the text of Scripture that really match the historical narrative is so that we would know that God is in charge of all things, of the details of life. So I like the story in the book of Ezra in particular because there is just this historical account that's behind it that really reveals how involved God is with mankind. And so, uh, the book of Ezra begins with this simple line. In the first year of King Cyrus of Persia, the Lord fulfilled the prophecy he had given through Jeremiah. Now, pretty simple. I mean, it's a good way to start a story. But when you think about it, uh, really it gives us a picture of we're known by God whether we know it 
or not. You may have come into this place uh, because somebody brought you and you were kind of doing them a solid. You may be watching online to pacify someone that you love. You may be out on the lawn here because you, you think that like the church walls will fall in if you go inside the doors. But listen, you're known by God, whether you know it or not. And so this scripture in particular in, in uh, Ezra chapter 1, verse number 1 uh, talks about the Lord fulfilling his prophecy that he'd given through the prophet Jeremiah. Now, let's go back in time a little bit. Let's set the stage. Israel is in captivity. Another nation had come, come and taken control of the nation of Israel. They were brought into what the Bible talks about as exile. So for about 70 years, Babylon had been leading the nation of Israel their best and their brightest got spread out across the entire uh, um, country of uh, um, or kingdom of Babylon at that time. And so that's the story that you find, you know, the, the Hebrew children in in the book of Daniel. It's a story that you find Daniel in in the book of, of Daniel. And so you see Israel is in captivity. But before Israel even went into captivity, now they've been in captivity almost 70 years, and so I'm going to nerd out on a few details, and so I hope you can follow the details along with me because the details really matter in this. So before Israel even goes into this 70 years of captivity under Babylonian rule, he spoke to the prophet Jeremiah. And he said to the, to, to the prophet Jeremiah, he said, listen, chapter 1, verse number 5, he said, I knew you before you were formed in your mother's womb. Before you were even born, I set you apart. I appointed you to be the prophet to the nations. And so we have this picture of before the prophet Jeremiah would be born, God knew him. God knew what he was going to do with his life. God knew the role that he was going to fill. And in the same regard, he knows the role you're going to fill. And he, and he knows you. And he knows me. Before we, even, we were even born, God had a plan for our life. We're known by God whether we know it, embrace it, or not. Fast forward. For 40 years, Jeremiah would preach to the nation of Israel. He would call them to return to their relationship with God. He would tell them that judgment is coming, and it wasn't a very popular message. Nobody wants to hear that judgment is coming, and so nobody responds to Jeremiah's message. He's called in Scripture the weeping prophet. He prayed, he preached his heart out, he prophesies, he weeps, they beat him, they throw him in prison, they mock him, nobody responds. And then on July 18th, 586 BC, Nebuchadnezzar, led by the Babylonians, they come into the nation of Israel and they take down the city of Jerusalem. They tear it apart they tear apart the walls, they tear apart the temple, they tear apart the life of Israeli people, carry thousands of them away into captivity, and Daniel and Ezekiel are some of the people that are carried away. And then there is this picture of, in the book of Daniel, Daniel, Daniel getting elevated in this foreign and captive land, even to the position of prime minister. So God's working behind the scenes. Keep that in your mind. But as this is happening, you got to picture this. 
The prophet Jeremiah, who was called by God to preach to the nation, to call them to repentance, they don't repent, they don't listen to God. He's on a hillside. When the Babylonians come into the city of Jerusalem, the city that he has known and loved, the capital, they besiege it, they destroy it, and they burn it. He's watching it all from a hillside, and he weeps profusely. But God spoke to the prophet Jeremiah. He didn't, he didn't just tell him that it was all going to be horrible. There's this passage of Scripture that most of us cling to. It's Jeremiah 29, 11. You've probably read this passage of Scripture before. And it says, <clears throat> I, know I, have the, I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster. Plans to give you future and a hope. And so, how many of you have kind of read that passage of Scripture? How many of you have kind of taken that passage of Scripture to heart? I've read it several times, taken it to heart, leaned on it to really kind of give me a picture of the character of God, that he's got good plans for me, that there's hope and there's future. Listen, this passage was penned right before Israel went into exile, right before 70 years of some really, really tough times for the nation of Israel. And as Jeremiah watched Babylon ravage the nation, things looked hopeless. But Jeremiah had been given this prophecy. And in this prophecy, there was hope. But how? Hope, that was close. How? How would God come through? Like, don't we ask that same question of our own lives? Like, how is God going to clean up this mess? How is God going to fix this family? How will God ever restore this relationship? How will God ever take care of this situation? How was the question? Why is this happening to the nation of Israel? Well, it was happening because God was working on their hearts. Many of you found your way back to God because of what was going on in your life, and what was going on in your life wasn't good at the time, and you saw God as the answer, and you found out that he really was. God was pursuing the heart of a nation that had begun to drift. They drifted far from God, and they drifted far from the, the lifestyle that he called them to live. God called the nation of Israel to be set apart, to not live like the other nations, just as he's called followers of Christ, not to live like the culture. Be in the culture, but influence the culture. Don't live like the culture calls you to. During that time, there was idols for all kinds of different things, but predominantly there were idols that the Israelis were worshiping at that time uh, devoted to sensuality and sexuality. There were idols devoted to prosperity, idols devoted to intellect and reasoning, and idols devoted to, to money. And they worshiped these idols, became devoted to these idols as a source. And so Israel finds its way into captivity because they rejected God and worshiped idols. That was one of the reasons why Babylon, Babylon would come into the nation of Israel. Second reason is that Israel stopped obeying God's law. Now, God's a God of details, and if you dig into the scriptures, there's a lot behind every single scripture. There's a virtual wealth of information to be gained, and so 
God called Israel to obey his law. One of the laws that God had specifically given to the nation was in Leviticus 25.4, that the land would rest every seven years. Now think about this. So the farmer uh, would farm for six years, and then no farming for the seventh year. They thought, well, that's ridiculous. Why would we not farm? Why would we leave the land vacant and barren for an entire year? And so Israel refused to follow that uh, decree of the Lord. And so for 490 years, they disobeyed God in that respect. Now, a lot of us, like, we wrestle with the patience of God. 490 years is pretty patient. So for 490 years, they refuse to do this, but God is keeping track. So Israel, wouldn't you know it as, as the math works out? They go into exile, and the land would rest for a period of 70 years. If you take 490 years of disobedience, and you divide it by seven, because every seventh year it was supposed to rest, you're going to get the number 70. And so interestingly enough, that detail is in Scripture, and so it says, so the message of the Lord spoken through Jeremiah was fulfilled. The land finally enjoyed its Sabbath rest, lying desolate, until the 70 years were fulfilled, just as the prophet had said. So God is this incredible God of detail. And what I think about, when I think about the, the issues that led Israel astray, one is, is, is uh, just the idol worship. He uses the same strategy on us today, like leads us or distracts us using sex and sexuality and sensuality. That's a big tool of the enemy. Uses prosperity to distract us and, and lead us astray. Helps us kind of start to formulate these thoughts in our mind that we know better than God and that our intellect is maybe a little bit higher than God's law. And then ultimately uses money as well. A very, very powerful tool to draw people away. And then calls us to this place of disobedience by kind of questioning things. Like, should the land really rest? I mean, that's kind of ridiculous. It goes clear back to the garden. Did God really say you're not supposed to eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil? And so... Israel doesn't comply with the commands of God. And so they're reaping what they've sown. And there will be seasons where we reap what we sow. And Israel is being allowed to reap what they have sown. This is sometimes a method that God uses to help his kids get back uh, in relationship with him, to know that there is needed change. Uh, and so he allows his kids to reap what they so, and so God uses Babylon. It's a great principle, this reaping and sowing principle, because even you go into the story of the prodigal son, it says when he finally came to his senses, he only came to his senses when he was allowed to reap what he had sown. He's feeding the pigs. He's longing for what they were eating. He was reaping what he had sown. And some of us were rescuing people that, are, that we love, that are in our lives, and they're never allowed to reap what they have sown, and because they're not allowed to reap what they sow, they remain on a destructive path. You can't be their savior. You can't be their savior forever. That's a role that only Jesus fills. And in Babylon, 
Israel realizes what life without God is like, and they don't like it at all. They remember what life with God was like, and even though Israel was unfaithful, and even though at times we are unfaithful, God is faithful. God's faithful even when we're unfaithful. After the 70th year of their captivity, something very predictable but amazing happened. The Jewish people got so fed up with worshiping idols that never in history would they worship idols again. They're like, I'm not falling for that trap. Again, we don't even see it in history. And they became fed up with life without God's leadership. We're known by God, whether we feel it or not. I think about the exiles and the Jewish people left in the nation of Israel. For 70 years, they probably felt like they had been forgotten by God. Feeling hopeless, feeling disconnected, forgotten by him. But remember, whether we know it or not, we are known by God. God gave Jeremiah this prophecy that before they even went into captivity, there was this picture of of hope because God always gives us hope. He just doesn't take us down for no reason. And so before captivity, Jeremiah prophesied, in those days, speaking of when they're in captivity, when you pray, I will listen. If you look for me, he said, you're going to find me. And he said, listen, I will end your captivity. I'm going to restore your fortunes. I'm going to gather you out of the nations, and I'm going to bring you back home again. And that's what God does. He ends the nonsense of life without God. He restores us because he's faithful. He gathers us and brings us close to him so that we can be with him. God offers them hope because that's what he does. God honors his word because that's what he does. And so we have in Ezra, circle back to Ezra, Ezra chapter 1, verse number 1, that he stirred the hearts, the heart of Cyrus. So we have this picture of God working on this character named Cyrus. You're going to find that his name is mentioned elsewhere in Scripture, and Cyrus doesn't even know about it. Cyrus, Cyrus doesn't even know who God is. But God is going to stir the heart of Cyrus. Now here's what's amazing. Cyrus does not know God, but 170 years before Cyrus would even be born, the prophet Isaiah would speak about him and his life, what he would do with his life. 170 years before this man who knew nothing about God or what it means to have a relationship with God, God had spoken through his prophet Isaiah that he would be born and that he would do incredible things for the nation of Israel. He prophesied that he would build the temple and let the captives go. Even though that Cyrus didn't know God, God knew Cyrus. So you go into Isaiah chapter 44, verse number 28, and this is some of the stuff that's incredible about the Bible. Like how God weaves stories together. So in Isaiah 40, 20, 44, 28, again, 170 years before Cyrus is born, 
there are these words that were penned by the prophet Isaiah. When I say of Cyrus, he is my shepherd, he will certainly do as I say. He will command, rebuild, he will say, restore the temple. And then in Isaiah chapter chapter 45, God gives Cyrus, one man, this particular message for him. 170 years before he would be born, he says these words to Cyrus, who doesn't even know him at the time. I'm going to go before you, Cyrus, and I'm going to level the mountains. I'm going to do this so that you'll know that I am the Lord, the one who calls you by name. Why does he call him by name when he doesn't even know him? He does it for the sake of Israel. And he does it so that Cyrus will know that there is no other God like the God in Israel. He calls it 170 years before Cyrus would be born. And so whether you know God or not, he knows you. Whether you feel God sees you or not, he sees you. And so there is this story about the conquest of Babylon. This is where Cyrus kind of really comes into the scene. Babylon has taken over the nation of Israel. They've been in charge for nearly 70 years. The people of Israel have been exiled. They're in the city of Babylon, and the king is throwing a party. Belshazzar is partying it up because the walls of Babylon, nobody can get through them. The city is surrounded by water from the Euphrates. The walls are big and strong. No army is going to get through those walls. Cyrus comes and devises this plan, and he diverts the water from the river Euphrates. So it goes around the city. The water table drops. His soldiers go underneath the walls, and there wouldn't you know it. There's this exile. He's older. Talked about in the book of Daniel. His name's Daniel. He'd been praying for the nation. He'd been repenting for the, for the nation. And as Cyrus comes into the city and takes down the city of Babylon without really much fighting at all, Daniel, you can picture the scene, probably hands him the scroll of Isaiah 44 and 45, points specifically to it. And he says to him, this guy who doesn't know God, what took you so long? We've been waiting for you. Cyrus is like, what are you talking about? So he unpacks this prophecy written 170 years before he was born. Talks about how 110 years before the captivity was coming to an end, God spoke about what would happen. And he talks about how the prophet Jeremiah said that for 70 years they would be in exile and there would be a rescue. And Cyrus is the one that God uses. So now, it says he stirred the heart of Cyrus. Cyrus, in the course of time, makes this proclamation. In writing, sends it throughout the entire land. This has impacted Cyrus dramatically. Imagine if you were Cyrus and this all happens. The Bible was talking about me 170 years before I was even born. This is what King Cyrus of Persia says. The Lord God of heaven has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, just like the prophecy said. He's appointed me to build him a temple 
at Jerusalem. Any of you, these are the exiles, these are the captives, he's saying to them, they've been in bondage for 70 years, he's saying, listen, any of you who are his people that want to return back to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple, you're welcome to do so, and may your God be with you. Foreign kings of foreign kingdoms never released captives. Completely and utterly unheard of. And then he said these words. This is so God. He always goes above and beyond what we would ask or think. Wherever this Jewish remnant is found, wherever you find Jewish neighbors or friends that are heading back to the nation of Israel to rebuild it, let, let the neighbors contribute. Let them send with these Jewish people who are returning home silver and gold supplies for the journey, livestock, and a voluntary offering for the temple. So like, hey, if you know a Jewish person, maybe they live next to you, he's saying, give them some money. Like, give them some of your livestock. Take care of them so they can, so they can be a part of this journey back to their homeland. Completely unheard of stuff. What's the point of all this? The point is, is that God, he keeps his promises. And the point of this is that there's nothing that's impossible with God. The point is, if there was a new exodus for them, there certainly can be a new exodus for every single one of us. There's always hope for a new exodus in our life. Always. You might have come into this place feeling hopeless. You might be watching online feeling hopeless. You might be out on the lawn feeling hopeless. Listen, if God's in the picture, there's always hope. And whether you've known God or not, he knows you. And whether you can feel God's presence or not, he knows you. He's given us these incredible prophecies or promises in Scripture. Is a better way to say it. Promises in Scripture, pro the promise of salvation, it's laid out in Romans chapter 10. It's like, listen, if we confess with our mouth, if we believe with our hearts that he is the Lord, God's going to save us. The promise of relationship talked about in Scripture. Romans chapter 8, nothing can separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. The promise for him to be with us always through the thick and thin of life. I'll never leave you or forsake you is what he says in the text of Scripture. The promise to put an end to death, talked about in Revelation chapter 21, verse number 4, that one day death and mourning and pain and suffering will come to an end. Those are the promises in Scripture. You might have come in here feeling hopeless, but if God's in the picture, there's hope. So I want to end with two different calls this morning. Some of us have some specific things in our life that we've been feeling hopeless about, that we've kind of given up on, and, and they're situational. And instead of conceding, we feel like the Lord is calling us to stand firm and wait for the Lord to do what only the Lord can do, but you've gotten tired in that process, and you just want to today hand that situation over to the Lord. You have a situation, you just you want to hand that over to the Lord. You want your hope renewed, and you want to take that situation and give it to him afresh and anew today. If that's you, I'm going to start over here. Would you lift up your hand? Hey, I got a situation I need the Lord to intervene in. I've got a situation. I've got a situation I need the Lord to intervene in. I've got, sounds like, seems like we all have situations, don't we? I know I do. And continually we got to go back to the Lord because he is our source 
of hope. So today is the day where we hand that over to him afresh and anew. Now, there's some of us in this crowd that we feel like we don't know the Lord. We're like Cyrus where we are distant from the Lord and all of a sudden we feel like God maybe has a plan for our life too. What I would tell you is he does. And if you want to be introduced to the Lord in a relationship with him, I want to help lead you through a a prayer that will just kind of get you started on your journey. If that's you, and I'm going to start over here, and you want to establish a relationship with the Lord, I want you to lift up your hand because we want to pray with you. Is there anybody over here that would say, I need to start a relationship with the Lord? Good. Hands over there. This section. A relationship with the Lord. Good. Good. Right here. Good. Hands in this section. Right here. Hands in this section as well. Right here. Good. This section. Good. Hands going up. Over there as well. Let's do this. Let's pray this prayer together as a church. Dear Jesus, please come. Take control of my life from this day forward. I choose you over the way of the world. Forgive me of my sins and heal my life. I embrace what Jesus did on the cross as being done for me. Today I leave the past behind and I step into your new future for me. I receive this in Jesus' name. Amen. Father, I want to thank you for the hearts and lives that have surrendered themselves to you. I want to thank you for kids coming home, and I want to thank you for the celebration that happens in heaven every time it happens. I pray the seed would grow and it would take over their life and the word of God would speak to them and that that you, dear Lord, would speak to them clearly. The voice of the Holy Spirit would be loud in their heart and their mind. Godly friends would surround them and we as a church would be able to help them to become who you've called them to be as they embrace new life with you. Guard and protect them, Father. We pray right now for those of us that have situations in our life that have seemed hopeless. Like the exiles in captivity, it may have seemed hopeless that it would never come to an end or get resolved, but you're the God of hope. And so God, we hand that situation over to you again. We ask you to take care of it, to heal it, to mend it, restore it, and do what only you can do. And Father, we're gonna trust you with it, knowing that you are able. In Jesus' name we pray and receive the victory, amen. We've had people come to Jesus this morning, always awesome.